0: of your life redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash star talk today
3: welcome to star talk your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide star talk begins right now this is star talk Sports edition. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. And today, we have as our guest, Dale Earnhardt Jr. I sat down with him, and we talked about everything under the sun. I got Chuck Nice. Chuck, how you doing, man? Hey, what's happening, Neil? All right, all right. Gary, Gary O'Reilly. Hey, Neil. So, always good to have you guys. So, what we, we have clips from my interview with Dale Earnhardt Jr., but, but, we, Gary, you, you,
1: that wasn't enough for you. No, we went out and found a a friend of ours that we had back on the show when it was Playing With Science many years ago, Dr. Deandra Leslie Pilecki undergraduate degrees in physics and philosophy, PhD in condensed matter physics, Neil. Mm, mm, Loving it, Um, loving it. Loving some condensed matter. I knew this this is definitely uh, for you. Uh, Researcher in magnetic, magnetic nanoparticles, focusing on medical diagnosis and treatment, a science communicator, radio, TV broadcaster, an author of The Physics of NASCAR. Not only is Dr. Deandra an expert in NASCAR, but she is also working with MBC on their motorsports and has become co-opted into the Formula One family. Ooh. So I think Ooh. we have just the right person. Ooh. Let's let's meet our dear friend, Dr. DeAndra Leslie Police. DeAndra, welcome to Star Talk.
4: Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be back.
3: So where did they find you? Oh, oh you're back because when you were last on, I wasn't on that program. So uh-huh. it's my first encounter with you. Yeah. And uh and I guess if if you write a book called "The Physics of NASCAR," that makes you pretty findable in our circles. So that it certainly that, that, does. Yes. <laughs> all right. So I,
0: how I do didn't you go, know about the uh, magnetic particle research for the
3: purposes of medical diagnostics. Yeah, I'm getting. I just want to find out how she makes this transition. How do you go from nanoparticles, which nano is the metric prefix for a billionth, so and, and it's just just been everybody's prefix for small like nanobots and this sort of thing, but Mm -hmm. they don't literally mean a billionth of something. But the idea is clear. Nanoparticles, uh, how do you go from there in medicine into NASCAR? What's up with that?
4: Well, nanomaterials were actually one of the fields that uh, the public didn't understand. And when they first hit in, I don't know, the 90s and the 2000s, those of us working in the field had to work very hard to explain to people um, what we were actually doing and the implications of what we were doing. So I learned a little bit more about how to communicate with the public then. But actually, the reason I got into the race cars was because I was teaching, you know, the intro 101 basic physics, and all of a sudden I realized I could teach all of this using cars. And the kids oh. would be a whole lot more interested than they would be if I'm doing balls rolling down inclined planes.
3: Frictionless inclined planes and, mm-hmm. and massless pulleys. On. Right, right. So. And and that was in the genesis of your book.
4: It was the physics actually, of NASCAR. It's actually interesting because um, I always like to ask if there are physicists at the race shops, and one of the guys said, "No, I don't think we have any physicists. You guys think everything interesting is negligible."
1: <laughs> okay. Ooh. Well, Ooh. Uh, <laughs> science put down. All
3: right. All right. Well, let's get into our first clip with Dale. Um uh is he abbreviated D E Junior? Is this a like in the know? Like if your buddies with him, uh I, you know, I, I want to be respectful.
4: Oh, we just call him uh, Junior. I, junior. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no other junior. Junior. Well, there is another junior, but he's in his 80s or 90s. So yeah, if you say junior, we
3: Everybody's all know who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So uh, I wanted to know. Uh we have several clips we'll bring in here, but let's start off. I wanted to know what was different about each car if each car f- had to f- had to submit to regulations in size and and parameters then what's the difference okay and then dale set me straight let's check out this first clip
2: that's interesting because so there is a long history of of NASCAR itself and stock car racing, for as uh, taking one example of motorsports that I'm familiar with, there's this long history of the, how the cars have changed and developed. But to your point, um, all of the cars are measured and and there's a technical inspection and they all have to meet the same measurements, requirements. And so how does a manufacturer differentiate itself from the others if they all have to... Appear, you know, measure the same body panels, right? And and how about the uh, pistons? I mean, yeah. the pistons well, have to be this. all. All of the engines are. Uh, there's there's a bunch of restrictions on how the manufacturers can build their motors and what's allowed to be able to um, create amount of, a certain amount of. Uh, they want to target on torque and peak torque and peak horsepower. They don't want you to exceed or get outside of this box. They want all of the manufacturers to live in this same sort of area so that no one has an advantage over the other. And it seems about to, that that would be conflicting to the true core of racing. Racing is building a fast car and building one better or faster than the next guy. But like I say, I mean, 50 to 75 years of history has you know created this massive sort of you know, rule book with all kinds of restrictions and limitations and guidelines that everyone now has to fit into this tiny, tiny little space. Deandra, I, I'm so I'm confused.
3: I mean, I hear him, but what? How do you advance a sport if every time everybody's got it? However clever your engineers are, they gotta make it. A, a, they have to obey the rules and regulations set out about the design and then the and the aerodynamics, the tires. Do the, the, the restrictions focus on one part of the car and not another? And and whatever part they don't focus on, do you have the freedom to make that part badass and then win every race? Like, I,
4: I'm yeah. just confused. Set would, me straight this,
3: here. These rules would ruin horse racing. Okay. <laughs>
4: okay. <laughs> it would. <laughs> um, so there's sort of two answers to that. One is that, the reason for the, all the standardization is because what NASCAR doesn't want to happen is that the people who have the most money win. Because oh, then you just keep oh. ramping everything up, and all of a sudden, no one can afford. DeAndra, this is a, this America. That's right. Okay. We, like, we like our
3: races just like our elections. Whoever has the <laughs> most money should win. <laughs> Damn Whoever dies, dies with the most toys wins. Yeah.
4: And and we did that for a long time. And what happened was uh, people started dropping out of the sport. One driver, Martin Truex Jr., won the championship one year. And the next year, his owner shut down everything because he just couldn't afford to keep doing the racing. And that's how you kill a series. And so mm. a lot of the standardization was basically to save the series. Now, where the innovation has really come in is that NASCAR designed the car we're racing now, which is called the next-gen car. A lot of the innovation is there. And so the teams have a small area in which to work. They can change springs, shocks, suspension, geometry. Um, You know, for example, when you stop at a stop sign, you go forward, right? Right. Well, your entire car does that because the car is attached to, the top of the car is attached to the wheels by springs. And so that's your suspension. Well, that transfers weight. And you know that frictional grip you have depends on the weight pushing down on the tires of the car. So every time the part of your car goes backward, forward to the side, you are changing the grip on your four tires. That is an incredible amount of freedom that the teams have. Now, Junior doesn't know that because he's not the one who's trying to figure out what springs and what shocks we use for a particular track. So he doesn't see a lot of that. Um, And it's really a matter of how do you match the car setup, the suspension mostly, to a driver's style because you could put Junior in one of those cars, you could put another driver in the same car, and one would be able to go faster than the other. And that doesn't necessarily mean one is better than the other, just that the car suits one driving style better than it does the other.
1: Let me ask you, Let me ask you this. Has there ever been pushback from the teams where NASCAR have said, this is what's gonna come in as a restriction this season, and, and they've all turned around and gone, nah, not happening. Has there ever been that, or do they all do as they're told? Uh,
4: a lot of the impetus for the standardization came from the drivers and the owners. Because imagine if you're a driver driving for a team that doesn't have as much money. Do you want to spend 36 weekends a year running, you know, 21st or 30th just because you don't have enough money to make a car faster? Or do you want to have an equal platform and then you've got a better chance at showing off your skill because it's not the car that's winning. It's the driver who's winning.
1: Okay. So when... When you say that, when the restrictions come in, who, who eventually ends up working the harder? The engineers in the pit or the drivers themselves? Because they've got to adapt and survive out there on the track.
4: It really depends on the change. So some of the changes mm. um, really affect the drivers more than the teams. But they're making a lot of changes. Uh, NASCAR is especially yeah. this year. Uh, they're trying out mufflers for the first time. They ran mufflers at the preseason race. They only muffled them down to somewhere around 80, 90 decibels from 110.
0: What is is the point? point?
4: (laughs) Well, the point is that they were racing at the LA Coliseum, and people Uh, live around there.
3: I got you.
0: And it makes a huge Mm -hmm.
4: difference, that 20 decibels, to the people who live outside. Okay,
1: okay. The NIMBYs. The Nimbys <laughs> all, all, all protested outside the Coliseum with placards. Yeah, but, you could, ne- but you couldn't hear what, what chance they were screaming. <laughs>
3: <laughs> let's go to my next clip where this notion that you're doing something to win the race, but in fact, innovation, uh, you know, where does anything innovate? Are, 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 is, are the cars we drive on the street because some um, people are saying, let's have innovations for the regular driver, or do they have other origins? So let's go back to my exclusive conversation with Dale Earnhardt Jr. on just that. Check it out.
2: While everything is really tight in the rules, there is this sort of little small area that the manufacturers tend to create advantages in. For example, right now, the Chevrolets would be, um, they would appear the Chevrolets have a little bit of an advantage on a track that's a mile and a half in length and their nose and the, the other components on the body that they do have some liberty in allowed them to develop an advantage over the other two manufacturers. And that ebbs and flows back and forth as the manufacturers continue to develop and and introduce new pieces. And so... In a, in a,
3: in a subsequent year, would other manufacturers copy that innovation?
2: They might look at it and learn how to do it better. And that's sort of been... That's sort of been the way that this sport's evolved for seventy-five years. Is, you know, I'll make a better mousetrap than you. You'll look at my mousetrap and you'll right, figure out right. what I might have not seen, and how they will take my idea and improve on that. And it just continues to just layer upon layer upon a layer on, on, upon layer of of improvements to the same theories and ideas. So, so I heard that many many uh,
3: features of the modern internal combustion engine car owe oh, their origin to innovations in NASCAR. And let me just mention a few. You tell me if I'm right, or like fuel injection. I yep. heard, was that was that first in NASCAR and car racing more broadly?
2: What well example? I think motor, motorsports more broadly, NASCAR yeah. actually hung on to the carbureted engine a little bit longer than most. I think though that fuel injection and those, you know, those types of improvements on our road automobile, the car me and you buy off the dealership floor. Those improvements in those cars certainly come from motorsports. Seatbelts, safety innovation, and, um, you know, durability in suspension components. Uh, All of those things originate from what we learn on the racetrack. The wear and tear and the, the durability. And we, you know, we'll put these components to the test and we find their weak spots the, the manufacturers pay attention to that. They take that back to the car that me and you buy off the showroom floor.
3: So, DeAndra, there are test pilots. I love it. Is that a fair way to think of
4: them? Um, in some ways, it is. But, you know, NASCAR is much more of a reactive series. Um, if you look at the origins of, of motorsports, they came about when the cars first got invented and manufacturers were trying to convince people these are good things. These are better than your horse and buggy, for example. Um, NASCAR has always been more about selling cars. And so there hasn't been as much innovation. However, um, they're very good at popularizing things. And so I think, for example, there is a material called uh, compacted graphitic iron, which is in between cast iron and um, ductile iron. And you know that engine blocks are made of cast iron usually. The problem is, they tend to crack. Well, this material, which was invented in the 60s um, because we finally got metallurgy down to the point where we could actually make it, is a lot lighter. You can make much thinner features. And so, you know, one of the things as manufacturers turn to electric vehicles is they need to reduce the weight of the cars. So some of the materials, some of the tricks that racers have been using to decrease the car weight are things that will directly translate to production cars, especially as we move to electric vehicles.
1: Hmm. Are we at the limit of our innovations, Doctor, with NASCAR, in the sense of you know with, with all the stuff we can see with the aerodynamics? You've talked about the engine blocks. We, you know, we're going to talk about tires in the next segment. And there's there's things on the floor of the car that are built specifically to to add to downforce. Are we are we at the limit, or are we just beginning?
4: Oh no, I mean, what what is limiting us is money.
1: Ah, uh, oh. You know, so how about that. Yeah, I mean,
3: <laughs>
4: wind tunnel time. I well, yeah. I, I could
0: have said that, DeAndre. I didn't yeah. need you that, on the yeah. show. That kind of that kind of <laughs> translates across everything. everything. <laughs> yeah, it does.
4: It does. But uh, time uh, in a wind tunnel is, you know, I not forget how much it is now. About a thousand dollars an hour. Upward at mm-hmm. that, you know, they, teams used to spend twelve hours in a wind tunnel, take the car back, strip it, and start over again. Yeah. And again, that kind but of cost the, just keeps going up and up and
0: up. But really, the, um, the need for innovation changes from area to area, right? As, as the needs of the consumer changes. So like you just said, right now, we're looking at the electrification of pretty much our entire economy. So now, uh, the urgency for lighter materials more, that are durable, that can stand up to you know, the road... That becomes very, very important as before it was a luxury, like to to have carbon fiber in your car. Oh, look how cool that is. So cool. Well, now it's like, yeah, you kind of need that. Mm.
4: Yeah, exactly. And so a lot of the processing, figuring out how to make carbon fiber in extremely intricate shapes, for example, a lot of that comes out of F1 and out of NASCAR.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, is there is there an area that the the engineers haven't really got heavily into yet, Doctor, in terms of where you think you know what if we go there, we could really make something special happen?
4: Um. Yes, and it goes back to nanoparticles.
1: Um, Ooh. Ooh. Ooh.
4: So, one of the things you have to worry about is a cooler engine produces more horsepower, and
3: um. oh. everything. Wait, wait, you know, wait, wait, would, why? Why is that so?
4: Um, because you get more air molecules in when the air is cool oh, because it's denser, right? Oh, wow, look at that! Oh, know that that is so simple. Okay. Oh, that is such a simple
3: concept! Mic, mic drop right there. It's so is. yeah. Of course. So could you put a could you put a little cooling thing in there to to shrink it back down, or that would just be extra weight? And oh my that's gosh. the thing. Yeah. Um,
4: if you were able to make fluids that could uh, transfer heat better away from the car. You mm-hmm. would have an advantage. And right. the best part is, wow. there'd be no way. I mean, F1 made a rule against nanomaterials. How are they going to find them, honestly?
3: Really? <laughs> 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 up to rule
0: of
4: magnifying glass. <laughs> looking yeah,
0: over there you go. Oh, that's
4: pretty
0: funny. <laughs> wow. But hey, what Chuck, a I found a Deerstoker, nanoparticle right like here. A guy
1: in a deer stoker in <laughs> a magnifying glass. <laughs> <No>. however, <laughs> a however,
0: you just made like, well, then again, we are moving away from combustion engines, but still... Uh, I, I can't believe nobody's figured out a way to make a lubricant that actually cools the engine at the same time. So, like, it wouldn't just be motor oil. It'd be motor oil and some kind
1: of additive some that extra would bring thing. the temperature down.
0: Yeah, That would yeah. be
1: amazing. Well, that's isn't that to do with all the vents on the cars and the air vents, you know, not just for downforce, but as a, as a natural free coolant? Yeah, 200-mile-an-hour yeah, two,
3: air is going to cool stuff down, right? True.
1: Yeah.
4: Well, yes and no. So, the most important thing you have to keep cool in a race car is the driver. And uh, don't cool worry, heading,
0: baby. I'm but cool. also, they're. <laughs> so,
4: there, the, you know, we've really closed up the cockpits. And so, the problem is it's getting to be 120, 130, 140 degrees Fahrenheit in the car. Ooh. And so, we're now worrying about how do we keep the driver's temperature from getting up too high? Because when your temperature gets up high, you lose your ability to think correctly. And you know, you don't want to be doing bad at 200 miles an hour. So the other right. area of cooling is ways that you can uh, you know, force cooled fluid through a, a shirt or you know something more sophisticated than dumping a bag of ice down your fire suit at the next pit stop.
3: Right, right. But of course NASA, I mean, there's spacesuits where there are there are there are tubes that move through that thread the suit to particular areas where you can most benefit from a heat exchange. Uh, if you're trying to stay warm or or cold either, right? So, So that's interesting. And so drivers do
4: have these shirts. They're called cool shirts, very descriptive name, that are just (laughs) capillary tubes sewn onto a shirt. But the biggest problem they have right now is the capillary tubes tend to clog. And Uh, then you're stuck in the car with warm water going through the suit. So uh, that's an area, mm -hmm. if you're going to start a business, that would be a really good area to go into. There you go.
0: Yeah, we have, he's a great driver, but we lose every race because he insisted that we put an air conditioner in the car. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wants to drive with the windows on. Right. And, <laughs> and, and a stereo.
0: And a, right? Right. <laughs>
3: and a stereo. Right. Guys, we got to take a quick break. But when we come back, more of my exclusive interview with the one and only NASCAR legend, Dale Earnhardt Jr., supplemented by the physics expertise of. Dr. DeAndra Leslie Pilecki, author of The Physics of NASCAR. Where else are we going to get that expertise? But from her, we'll be right back.
0: Working moms have way too many to do's. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you.
1: Games rated E for everyone.
3: We're back. Segment two, Star Talk Sports Edition, featuring my exclusive interview with Dale Earnhardt Jr. And we've got with us Dr. DeAndra Leslie Pilecki, who wrote the book on the physics of NASCAR. And guess what that book is called? I'm going to go with the physics of NASCAR. (laughs) The physics of NASCAR. All right. Uh, In my next clip with Dale Earnhardt Jr., I I heard that they don't inflate their tires with air. Air. Like air, the mixture of nitrogen and oxygen. Instead, they remove the oxygen and stick just nitrogen in the tires. And I'm thinking, why?
2: Oh, my God. Check this out. That's because of we want um, the the heat that's created in the tire. I believe the nitrogen will be less affected by that temperature. And so this air is going to increase, right? And you're going to, as the tire gets hot, gets warmer, uh, the, the size of this tire, we want to minimize the change in that tire from the moment it, Leaves the race, uh, leaves pit road and goes out on the racetrack and performs. And so they found a, a mixture that would be less volatile, less affected by temperature. The tire, like the inside edge of a right front tire during a run, is going to go over 250 degrees, 280, 300 degrees. Whoa. And so, and so the air inside of the tire is affected by that heat. And as the air increases in the tire, the size of the tire changes. That changes the setup and the way the car drives and feels. Oh my and so God. you want all of those things to be minimized. And so using nitrogen has gained the teams a bit control, a bit of control and um, predictability, I think, over just how much the tire is going to change. You know, we have a target pressure working with Goodyear, they give us a lot of tire data and they'll tell us your target pressure for maximum grip and performance in the tire is going to be 55 degrees or 55 pounds. And so if the tire is likely to gain 15 pounds in, you know, while, out, while In the race, in the race. Yeah, while right. we're racing it, if it's going to gain 15 pounds and, and sort of plateau, then we want to pull off pit road with 40 pounds of air in the tire. Whoa. And, yeah, and so there's, most of the teams all understand where they need to be There's not somebody out there that's smarter than the next guy trying, you know, that knows a little bit more and is doing that job a little better. Goodyear provides uh, all of the teams with tons of tire data on sidewall stiffness and all kinds of pliability and the rubber and everything else to help them understand, you know, air pressures and what they need to run. And there's also a safety factor. Like if you start the air pressure too low, the tire itself will come apart. Over time.
3: So, DeAndre, I have a zillion questions after that clip there. So, first of all, are they nitrogen is slightly lighter than oxygen? Is this why they're removing the oxygen and using primarily nitrogen?
4: No, actually, it's not. Um, What they want, so we call it a tire build, it's the difference between the tire pressure when you're on pit road and the tire pressure, you know, when you're just running green flag laps. That build, um, you want to be predictable. Now, imagine if you have just, say, compressed air, you know, and you put it uh, from a compressor into the tire. That air is going to have a lot of water in it. And you heard him say the temperature is going to get between 250, 300. Well, that's above the boiling temperature of water, right? Mm
3: -hmm.
1: So what's going to happen
4: is all of a sudden you're going to get a change in pressure. And that change in pressure will upset the car enough for a driver uh, to crash. So what they found was that by using nitrogen, which is dry, has no oxygen, has no water in it, rather, um, that made the builds more predictable.
3: Wow. wow! Damn. Okay. So, so a couple of things. But under pressure, the water would would turn to steam at an even higher temperature than two hundred and twelve. So maybe when, if it's getting up to 250, 260, maybe three hundred is happens.
4: is um, not out of the question. Not
3: We're out talking. of the question. so. Okay, so now I asked him, why don't they preheat the nitrogen before they put it in the tire? Then you don't have to build anything. You come out of the pit ready, you know, ready for prime time. And he didn't have a good answer for that. Do you have any insight into that? Oh,
4: yeah, the answer is because NASCAR won't let you. No, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, honestly, that one I understand because I do not want people— With compressed air cylinders, which, by the way, are sort of dangerous, heating them up. Right. (laughs) I mean, you're just asking mm -hmm. for an accident. Um, What could go wrong? What what could possibly go wrong? Oh, the pit manatee. The (laughs) pit manatee. I did want to mention um, that a couple crew chiefs every so often decide they're going to get really smart. And instead of using nitrogen, they decide they're going to use argon or xenon, both of Mm -hmm. which are also ideal gases. Um, right. And what they learn almost inevitably is that the additional cost is not worth any gain in performance.
3: So if you if you go to gases down on the noble gases on the right hand side of the periodic table, they really need to use krypton. That's the one, right? That, that, yep. that's okay. Then you get Superman power out of that, <laughs> one, I'm pretty sure, or, or, or at least your car
0: won't have superpower anymore. <laughs> oh,
3: yeah. Oh, got it. That's the opposite. All Sorry, right. my bad. Yeah. My bad. All right. And
1: obviously, it'll have to be green. Oh yes, yes. All yeah. right, goes without saying. Um, what, what if the tire pressure is too low? Because don't don't the tire? Don't you get to go quicker with lower tire pressure? But this, the the trade off is the integrity of the tire itself.
4: Yeah, there's a ha- there's a happy pressure spot for a tire. Yeah. If there's okay. too little air in it, you'll actually see the sidewall start to yeah. flex. And if you go to a track, a small short track, Martinsville, which is a half mile, they will actually start mm. the cars out between 9 and 11 PSI. And they Ooh. will build up to 35, 32 PSI during the course of a run. But if you started at 32, you'd get a build and then they'd be so big that you'd be having less of the tire in contact with the track, which would give you less grip. Uh, so because
3: Right, right, right. So I, we did a whole uh, explainer video on the tire pressure. And if you multiply the area of tires in contact with the road by the tire pressure, you get the weight of the car. And so, yeah, if your tires get over inflated, they have to rise up on a center mm-hmm. line there so that all those numbers those numbers. But believe still it or not, out. that's the so same then,
0: for your regular car that you're driving on the Every single person— you know, there's a recommended PSI for the, for, uh, and, uh, for the, for the tire mm-hmm. themselves. There's a pressure it has to be. And they tell you, if you run it low, you wear your tires out. Uh, and if you run it high… On the edges, so, you know, yeah. So, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, it, it screws up the tread.
3: Right, right. It, totally.
0: But then
1: again, see, we always think of straight line speed and grip for a tire when you watch nascar and i i watched a couple of races just so as i can understand a little bit better there's a lot of need for lateral grip so if you overinflate a tire it becomes too high a pressure then that's oh, where you're well, lost now comes now you sure. got i mean that's this is where i want them
0: to overinflate all the tires now you just made this game more exciting <laughs>
1: well, you're welcome so doctor do we get that do we do we do we have a, a sweet spot for lateral grip because if i'm going to overtake or come underneath a a car in front of me, I'm going to need to have that lateral ability without just sliding all the way off.
4: Yeah, lateral grip is actually much more important than the speed down the straightaways, for example. Um, So one of the problems is that if you are underinflated, when you turn, you can imagine you're actually shearing the sidewalls of the tire.
3: Yep, yep. And if
4: it's way too low, you could actually shear them off the tire. So that would be dangerous. And then if it's too high, and you
3: just simply don't have, have the no grip, grip to make the turn, and you're going to hit the wall. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Well, so when you watch NASCAR, and you think it's just about driving fast, right? And then I'm sitting down with Dale Earnhardt and have him sort of reflect on what's going on inside the driver's head, a good driver's head. And what is he thinking about? Is he just, do I, is it pedal to the metal, or is there some other sort of thinking about the engineering and physics? I know one thing he's thinking. What? Damn, is hot.
0: Oh, okay, let's find
3: out.
2: Let's find out what
3: else the driver is thinking. Could it be the aerodynamics? Let's find out in my next clip. Here it is.
2: In our racing, since we drive on ovals and we are always turning left and we're always going in the same direction, we really need the right side of our car to perform almost like a wing on an airplane. And how do you... If we have a car that's tracking straight down the straightaway, uh, if we can control how much y'all, the, y'all movement or how much the car goes into y'all into the corner and almost you know, as the car pivots into y'all into the corner, that right side becomes a wing. The air now is pushing on that right side, trying to straighten the car out. That means I can go faster. I can mash the gas and go harder. And so we control the yaw movement, and we focus on side force or the amount of air pushing on that right side of the car, trying to keep that car from spinning out and losing control. And, uh, you know, that, that's been, that's really been the main focus in NASCAR and oval track racing probably over the last two decades. So
3: uh, he was saying yaw, right? Y-A-W, not y'all. Yeah, I know. I thought he was
0: talking about the people's watching. <laughs> y'all watching the thing. He's okay. about to pitch in the y'all.
3: <laughs> <laughs> pitch in. So, yeah, he's using, he's using terms from aerodyna- flight pa- airplanes and aerodynamics. So, so, can you comment on that, D'Andra?
4: Yeah, so uh, the aerodynamics of a race car are really important. And what he's talking about is, you know, you have a car and it's coming straight towards you. And if the car is in zero yaw, the tires are both lined up straight. It's actually better if you're turning left, it's better for the car to be a little bit like this. So the right side's poking out. That means that you're going to get more air coming along the right side of the car. That's going to give you side force. That's going to help you turn. And so, you know, everyone has pretty much the same mechanical grip, but it's the weight of the car. So anything you can do to increase your aerodynamic grip
1: will give you more speed.
4: Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So could I design the right-hand side of the car in a slightly advantageous way Ooh. to build that out, Ooh. to kind of... Make it naturally be doing yeah. that. Gary uh, wants to, or, or or am I now in trouble with oh, the big? big you're an big, well, like aerodynamic NASCAR. cheater. He's let's, a cheater. Aerodynamics. Let's say mm. that you
4: came up with something that actually accomplished that. Was it in the rules? NASCAR would yes. probably make it illegal right after that race.
3: After you, oh. won, you have to win the race first. Before. They make sure oh, if, it, if he came in dead last,
1: they would
0: say, I'm yeah, use it all time. I'm getting
1: laughed out of town. Like, uh, why why is this NASCAR worked.
0: shaped like a rhombus? Yes. What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right, we've seen the drafting. We've seen ridiculously close drafting. We've seen them in a the single file. We've seen them three abreast. But when they're racing and in different stages and different positions, are there… Is there a sweet spot or are there at times multiple sweet spots which the drivers themselves can exploit? You mean location among
3: other cars, Gary? Say it again? A sweet spot, as a sweet spot, you mean location among other cars? Yeah, driving, where yeah? Okay. all of
1: a sudden the the aerodynamics are more beneficial for the oh. car trailing. Uh-huh. So is, is that kind of, I mean, there's all sorts of thoughts that go off in your mind once you start to watch one of these things.
4: Yes. The, the question of how the air coming off another car affects your car is one that has been with NASCAR ever since draft, drafting was discovered in the 60s. Um, it's almost more of a question of making sure you're not in certain places. So when you get right behind mm. someone, if you get to one side, in fact, we saw this at, at Atlanta this week, uh, one driver just actually moved behind the other from right to left and the driver in front spun out. There was no contact. But it
0: changed
4: no,
3: the right. air right.
0: Yeah, wow. so much mm. that it made him spin out. Oh, man. He, he, he did a draft pit move on him.
3: Whoa. Damn. Mm.
1: Okay, so with the outer wall, how is that affecting, apart from the fact you don't want to be hitting it, how is that affecting the aerodynamics on the cars that race closer to the wall as opposed to those inside of the track.
4: So if you're running the outer wall, you're at a slight disadvantage because you're going a longer distance, right?
1: Right. Okay. However,
4: if you're running the outer wall, some drivers um, can take advantage of sort of the cushion of air between the car and the wall and pick up a little mm-hmm. speed that way. Now, you have to have some guts to do that because the closer you are to the wall, the less tolerance you have for air, right?
3: Wow. All right. So what's interesting there, if. Uh, because if the more you draft and the more you become efficient, the maybe you could work it so that it's one fewer pit stops to refuel. That can make a very big difference, can't it?
4: It can. Uh, and also, it's going to depend how many cautions there are in a race. So, you know, you load up a, a full tank of fuel. How many laps you get is going to depend how many of those laps are green and how many are yellow. Because obviously, you get better fuel mileage when you're not going as fast.
3: Wow. Okay. Damn. I,
4: I, I, who who's thought, did, how, did, do all the,
3: do the fans know all these details that are going on, or they just want a fast race and an occasional crash?
4: Some know, some aren't interested. I mean, that's the great thing. Um, I was out at Las Vegas two weeks ago, just going out and talking to fans about some of this stuff. And a lot of them really want to understand, why isn't my driver winning? What's happening? Why did he crash here? So that's the great mm. thing about using motorsports to get people interested in math and science. Yeah. They want to know.
3: Yeah, yeah, excellent. I have excellent. one
0: friend who's in the NASCAR and he's, you know, I, 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 he's obsessed. So, like, yeah, he's yeah. with all this stuff that we're talking about. And uh, 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 there's something wrong with him, though, because he no. actually, <laughs> I'm serious, he has an autographed tire slick that he uses as a, a coffee table. Like, he's, okay. in, that, right. so he's, he's, he's in, in that it. He's space, in it. Okay. you Okay. Know? All right, all right. So, Oop. what
1: are you doing? Are you critiquing him because of his interior design? <laughs> yeah, apparently. Or are you critiquing him because he likes NASCAR? <laughs> well,
0: first of all, he thinks I'm gay because I don't have a tire slick as a coffee table. <laughs> so, that sure. should let you know
1: where uh, he's coming
0: from.
3: Right. How, what different <laughs> la- wavelengths we are. <laughs> we got to take, take a break. But said, yeah. we're, we're going to come back with Deandra Leslie Pellecki telling us about the physics of nascar and in the final segment i look forward to just learning about transition to electric uh any other thoughts and physics insights that are going on in that fascinating sport when start sports edition continues We're back, StarTalk Sports Edition, featuring my exclusive interview with Dale Earnhardt Jr., otherwise known as Junior. (laughs) And we've got deep physics insight coming to this episode from Dr. DeAndre Leslie Palecki, who wrote the book The Physics of NASCAR. You know, I asked him about going electric. And if you go electric, then you might have aerodynamic noise, but you don't get that engine noise. That engine noise that is so characteristic of the sport. And so I had to ask him about it. What, what happens if the music goes away and it's just silent running? Check it out.
2: I think their ambitions are absolutely there. I don't know that there's concrete plans, what that looks like. But there's an adage or a, or a phrase that we used to say, all the time in racing in NASCAR. And that was win on Sunday and sell on Monday. And what that meant is the car, the manufacturer that would typically win on Sunday, they would go. They were going to have a good day at the dealership on Monday. They were going oh, wow. to sell. Yeah, all so those if, if Chevrolet was successful on the racetrack, their belief, the reason why they're in motorsports in general is to sell automobiles. And so if their sedan that they're trying to sell to the market is doing well on the racetrack, then more people are likely to buy that car. And right. so that still has some truth to it. Now, the race car that I'm right, you know, that we race on the racetrack isn't anything like you're going to buy off the showroom floor, but we still sort of adhere to that idea that, um, you know, the manufacturers, their their whole purpose is to raise, you know, the profitability of their of their yeah. Why not? Uh, Why not? Of course, did it. Is. Yeah. And yes. so. Yeah. yeah. And if they're and if they're building hybrids and they're building and and studying how to build electric cars, fully electric cars, then we too need to adapt some of that technology. We need to make it. We need to be. A, we need to be a place where the manufacturers want to be, to be able to showcase right. that technology. If hybrids is the future, and if if fully uh you know fully electric cars are the future for the consumer. Then, where are they going to tr- truly test that technology? Where are they going to put that technology to the ultimate test? That's on the racetrack. That's our belief. And I believe it's the manufacturer's belief as well. Plus, uh, I own
3: an electric car. And as you surely know, they have very high acceleration, right? Yes. It's just, it's, Massive it's, torque. Very, very high torque at low speeds. I mean, every. So, that's an interesting feature that could manifest in interesting ways yeah. for races designed just for that kind of car.
2: Right? I think that that's true. And another conversation is what will be fascinating to me is as hybrids become more commonplace in motorsports, we lose that combustion engine sound. The bra- You know, the engine braking of mm-hmm. uh, deceler- decel into the corner, the sound of the RPMs accelerating out of the corner. We as I say, we race car drivers listen to those noises to determine whether we are at above or beyond the level of grit, right? Or we're we're over accelerating, over over um, we're over pu- or pushing. It's talking forward. to you. The sounds are talking to you. Yeah. And so when that's gone, when you get into an electric car, you lose some of that. You lose some of the understanding of what that combustible engine is telling you. I think that's going to be so fascinating watching. Drivers that, are, that have sort of lived both worlds, right? Mm-hmm.
3: So, DeAndre, do you foresee electric NASCAR anytime soon?
4: Yes. Uh, the current generation of car they designed with the intent of eventually being able to add hybrid features to it. And what Junior said is exactly correct. Ma- the manufacturers are in NASCAR to sell cars. When they're trying to sell electric cars, NASCAR will be racing electric cars. I, I think the important thing there is that NASCAR is in a position to change people's minds. And so the people who now say, I hate electric cars, may get used to it, may change their mind about electric cars based simply on you know NASCAR adopting them.
3: So, Deidre, I just had an idea, all right? Have you ever seen lowriders that move into town real slow? Yep. If you want to sell lowriders, you got to have a slow NASCAR <laughs> 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 that are bobbing up and down. And they're just and they're there to be looked at as you drive by. Actually,
1: That's a new kind of NASCAR.
4: Gary, isn't Formula One having that problem with the porpoising?
1: Yeah, maybe it is, but uh, I don't think anyone's buying a Formula One car out of a showroom. <laughs> <laughs> <many times. laughs> hey, I must ask you what you heard there with Dale Earnhardt Jr. was the relationship the 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 intuitive relationship of sight, sound and vibration, everything. If the NASCARs are now electric, does that relationship get broken between driver and vehicle? And how how are we going to solve that problem if that is now going to be a problem of the future? So they no longer become one with their car.
4: No. Oh, I don't think so. Um, so there's two ways that the drivers are sensing things in their car. One is eyes, ears, right? Mm. And the other, and that's where sound will come in. The other one, however, is through their, their butt, basically, is they're feeling how the balance of the car is shifting as they're, you know, as you lose fuel, you lose rear grip, for example. As your tires right. wear, you lose grip. They feel that in the seat and have to adjust accordingly how fast they go to make sure they're not exceeding the limits of grip. So that will still be there with the electric cars. Uh, I've talked to drivers who have driven both, and they say it is a very different uh, technique to make an electric car go fast than it is an ICE car.
1: But when, when they rely on that engine rev as an audible clue as to where they are in terms of the power output, in terms of when they need to make the maneuver, if that's just... How do, you, how, do you, how do you tap into that? Lights Lights
4: on the dashboard. So it's the yeah, same way so they go. Have, they have yeah, meters. They, if, they have if, the, yes. um, uh, what do they call well, it? It's not a heads-up dashboard yet, but it's an electronic, a digital dashboard. And yeah. so they yeah. can pull it up. They can see the RPMs. They can see how close they are to pit road speed. They can see diagnostics for the engine if the engine is working. But this, this
3: is like Luke. This is like the thing that Luke was was going to use. but uh, the lid. thing that came yeah.
0: down there. It is. Yeah. 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 Right.
3: Trust the force, Luke. And, trust, and then he then he put and it, he, away. Then
0: he pulls it away. Then he pulls it away. He pulls it right. away. And yeah, then you hear R right. two going, "What are you doing, you idiot?
3: <laughs> Look at all this technology! How would you trust the force?" Wait, 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 wait! Uh, R two doesn't speak. Well, you know h- why h-
0: Luke understands. Chuck was <laughs>
3: interpreting you. <Neil.
0: laughs> Luke understands.
3: <laughs> so the thing and is, I, by I the wait, way, wait. Neil. I don't want you to embarrass me, uh, my show, by not knowing. That R two is not having a conversation. Uh,
0: no, but here's the thing, I mean, you got it, to suspend so much disbelief <laughs> in order to accept anything with Star Wars, and you got to draw the line at the talking
3: robot. <laughs> okay, DeAndre, uh, okay. please continue.
1: Ignore, okay, sorry. Uh, ignore so, us. Okay, that now my problem with this is, if I go to reach the radio while I'm driving on a on an empty road, I have a concern. I don't want to be on a NASCAR track with 20 other cars at 200 miles an hour going, oh, what does that heads-up display say? What was that again? And I don't need to be looking there when I need to be looking there. So, surely, that audible note allows me to focus with my eyes and use this other sense here.
4: It definitely does. It definitely does. It's something they'll have to learn.
0: There there are other things that become intuitive as you drive, Uh, and I only say this, not that I've ever driven NASCAR, but... I, hmm. I ride motorcycles, and yeah. the same thing happens. There is no instrumentation when you're riding 95 miles an hour <laughs> yeah. on, on, a, on a twisty road. You don't ever look at instrumentation. But also, at that speed, a lot of your hearing, which you rely on to uh, listen to the motor, is also uh, impaired because of the rush of wind, yeah. And so you find other ways to feel the road to feel the bike to you know you're at a certain speed when you go to turn and because it's a gyroscope there's a certain amount of force that you need to use in order to pull the bike and so I without ever looking down or hearing the engine I know oh I'm above 50 miles an hour right now going into this turn from how much force I have to pull on the on the bars to pull the bike okay. down into a turning position. So these are all things that you just, when you are deprived of any sense, you find another mm-hmm. way to
3: sense the circumstance. That's that's all I'm saying. Let's jump into another clip of my exclusive interview with Junior. Uh, D'Andra, can I call him Junior? And I, am I allowed? Everyone calls I, him
4: Junior.
3: Have, good, thank you, thank you. I don't want to be uh, out of order here. So um, uh, uh, my exclusive interview with Junior, where we talked about, Safety. Safety. And he said safety is not a destination. And so I wanted to know how safe is NASCAR these days? So check it out.
2: There is a lot of subtle things. Um the, you know, the 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 wheel tethers, like you say, the, there's there's tethers to the hoods of the cars so they don't go flying into the grandstands when they come removed from the cars and crashes. But um there's been a lot of things. There is this um, safety is a is not a destination, and you know okay. there's no there's no end game. We I Neil, when I was driving cars in 1995, I thought those cars were as safe as they could be, and 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 it's miles from where we are today, and what we've learned, and what we you know what we. Well, understand. It's not just the car. Isn't your head now yeah. attached? Yeah. To so, because your yeah, head is this a, thing
3: on this on this thing yeah. we call a neck, and yeah. your head is moving 200 miles an hour. Right. Yeah. People yeah. are thinking they thought oh, it's the car. No, your head is yeah. moving 200 miles, and the car stops. Your head keeps going.
2: Yeah, and that's you know that's uh, that's a fatal injury. That's part of my own my father's uh, injury that caused him to lose his life. Uh, the basal skull fracture is is. Some of them we heard a lot in, in years past, but when the Hans device comes out, which was developed because of of the many drivers like my father that had this injury, um, the Hans device basically kind of keeps your head from coming off of your shoulders in those high, high speed wrecks. And so I also learned, you know, we've learned a lot about the, uh, the head surround, which uh, the padding around the helmet itself to try to protect drivers from concussions, which... Uh, which I know a lot about myself, unfortunately. Mm. De- Deandre, does it, does it take a tragedy
3: to introduce a safety feature? I mean, it kind of seems like it does, but must it, I guess I'm asking.
4: In some ways, it does, because there are always things that can happen that you, want to pre- that you, you can't predict. So, for example, one of the things we thought at one point was the stiffer a car was, that is, the less give it had, the safer it was. So you were you were enclosing the driver in a cage that would not allow him or her to you know, get any of that energy. Well, it turns out you want a car stiff, but not too stiff. And so we're still learning about how stiff to make a car, for example. Um, so we went through the same thing with safety belts. Uh, the problem is, if you are studying motorsport safety, you don't get a lot of data points every year. So there are you know less than 30 serious accidents in NASCAR. By serious, I mean you know someone hitting a wall really hard, uh, someone going upside down and catching on fire. We don't have a lot of those. So if you're trying to study how to prevent them, you just don't have the data to be able to predict everything that's going to happen. Oh, so that's a good problem then. It is. And you, it you, isn't. you don't have the
3: data on. You don't have the data on bad accidents because there aren't bad accidents, right? I mean that's kind of interesting. Well, there that's are bad interesting... accidents,
4: but there aren't enough of them that you could. You know, it's like if you have an incomplete data set, and I ask you to predict something from that. You're not going to be able to predict
1: everything. You can't. But if you take the element of danger away, are you not then affecting the certain bit of something that attracts the crowds? Uh, He's talking talking about me.
0: He's being polite. He's saying, if you take the potential potential of death out of the sport, don't you get rid of the macabre uh, people like Chuck Nice who just love to... Don't want to see anybody get hurt, but are thrilled by the potential of it happening. Maybe
4: <laughs> uh, you may, but you know, there's a whole other group of people who have no interest in that. Look at look at sports car racing; they very rarely have accidents, and there's right. a whole mm. slew of people who follow that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and listen, I I think that uh, as long if nobody gets hurt, crashes are spectacular. But mm-hmm. what you want to see at the end of it is when the guy gets out,
3: and they walk, <laughs> and they yeah. walk and they away. Walk. Like and they walk. That
0: that is the happiest you can be. It's like you saw this spectacular crash, and then you saw a guy get up and walk
3: off, and you and know, it, and it, it looked and it looks back at it, right? He's like, well, looking that, back in the and, middle yeah. of that, yeah, yeah, like yeah.
0: you know you know. But because it's really, I mean, there's, I mean, we we went through it in the in the NFL this year. We actually saw an ambulance take a player off of the field first time and god knows how long that's happened and it was really just kind of almost like a you 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 felt it was like a national tragedy because it's something about that shared experience of seeing it all together it was awful it was just awful so Mm -hmm. you just never want to see it
1: so for me neil the chilling words by dale Earnhardt jr there at the end concussion, that's something I know a lot about, unfortunately. Right. And um, From your discussion, and we've not got into hearing him say this, but he is going to donate his brain to science mm. once he passes away mm-hmm. because of the concussions he has. <laughs> yeah, I know a little fine devil's in the detail there. So right. it's that sort of thing where you're saying people need to know that much more. And so to your point, doctor, the data points… Are gonna come from a whole load of different sources, not just from the cars themselves.
4: Most definitely. And in fact, one of the things Junior has done already, including in addition to donating his brain, is just speaking out and getting out of the car when he had a concussion and telling people, look, I it's not safe to drive when you have a concussion. Because there is that, you know, macho, you know, I'm gonna have a broken mm. jaw and drive, I'm gonna have a broken arm and I'm still gonna get in the car he really changed a lot of people's attitudes about that. And so he's done a great service to the sport that way. So Gary, I think we have an extra clip
3: on on, do. on, do. on, on brain research. So let's, let's see what's going on there. Check it out.
2: There's been a bunch of studies on NFL football players and other athletes as well. It wasn't anybody really in the motorsports industry that was looking at this and, and thinking and considering of donating their brain Oh, so that came uh,
3: after the football
2: awareness the oh, research. Gosh. Yeah, I yeah. saw all of that happening, and saw the the you know the groundswell of support to try to provide anything for research, right? To move to move this further, I met with a lot of doctors in my own rehabilitation that I fell in love with and really respected, and I wanted to help them and do the right thing as well for them, well beyond my life. I wanted to continue uh, to be an advocate for. Um, helping other people, and so you know, anything they can learn from my experiences, and and anything they can learn from anything that I can do post post my life, I will you know after I'm gone, I would I would want to be able to do that. I, I, um, so yeah, that was a very was an easy decision for me.
3: Yeah, I'm glad we we had that clip. So that really that completes the the picture of this treasure, this American treasure, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and what he's done for the sport and what he'll continue to do for the sport, even in death. Uh, DeAndre, do you have any sort of uh, closing remarks you can give us based on all you've heard and what you know and your wisdom and insight?
4: So I really enjoy listening to drivers talk physics because when they talk the science of the racing to people like us, they feel compelled to use you know, the right words and talk about aerodynamics and that. But what's really fascinating is that they have an experience of physics that you and I don't have, because they have the, all the g forces, all the turning, you know, all the all the feelings that you get driving a car. And I think it's a really great way to sort of merge these two wor- worlds. And I'm really glad you talked to Junior because I think he's one of the great ambassadors of the sport.
3: So we learned as well. Uh, uh, it's been a delight, DeAndre, to have you back on Star Talk. So, Deandra, where do we find you? What's your social media footprint?
4: Uh, I am at Dr. Deandra on Twitter. I am at doctor Deandra D'Andrea2 on Instagram, only because I had one account and couldn't figure out how to get back into it.
3: Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. okay. And I think
4: you can find my, my page, my website, Buildingspeed. It's buildingspeed.org. That's where I put most of my really technical stuff about motorsports. But then again, I also I write two columns, a week for NASCAR talk for the NBC um, Sports and you'll find things on there that cover everything from uh, things that we talked about today with the tire to the odds of you know someone winning the Daytona 500.
3: Woo. Wow. Okay. okay. So that's the math and the physics coming coming through there. It's been a delight. Thank you for giving your time to us and our uh, sports loving audience.
4: Thank you for having me.
3: All right, Gary. Good to have you, man. Pleasure, my friend. All right, Chuck. This has been another episode of Star Talk Sports Edition. The Dale Earnhardt Jr. interview. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, as always, bidding you to keep looking up.
2: Hey, it's me, your barista. So, you know how you come in
4: almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Yeah, well, I might be putting myself out of a job by telling you this, but now there's an easy way to foam at home with New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. With three new foaming flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato, who could blame you if you stopped coming in altogether? Yeah, it's that foaming delicious. You're welcome.
0: New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, now in stores. It's foaming delicious.